Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a legend in the bookmaking business. He's consulted offshore, worked in several different casinos and sports books, and now runs Stadium Technologies, which essentially operates all of Las Vegas and Nevada's ticket writing business for the most part. Please welcome Richie Bacheleri. Hey Richie, how you doing? I'm good, Spanky. How you doing? Thanks for that intro. Hey, no problem, Richie. So I like to always start off with how things, you know, how was life growing up um, and and how you kind of got into the business. So let's start from the beginning. Um, Where'd you grow up in? I grew up in the Bronx. I was there till I was about uh, 16. And then uh, my family moved uh, moved to Vegas in like 1980. So I've been here 40 years now. Wow, amazing! And and how was growing up in the Bronx? What part of the Bronx? Uh, Zuriga Avenue, you know, Westchester Square, Castle Hill. Okay. And uh, mm. was um, was gambling a way of life then? You know, I don't know what, what decade are we talking about, Richie? Because you hold your age pretty well. You look good. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up there uh, in the 70s, and, uh, you know, the, the experiences with, with the gambling, of course, were the, were the sucker parlay cards that uh, the guy would bring around on the corner, you know, for a buck, and, you know, four teams, they, they gave you a whole six, six, six for one yeah. on it, and uh, and then and then the boxes in the Super Bowl, you know, you pick the boxes, the numbers, and, and uh, you know, learn a little bit about the policy, and you know the, the the daily three, you know stuff like that. Or you know, can't help but not be involved with it. It's there. It's in every candy store you go in. Uh, so it was a little, a little early education, you know. Absolutely. Were there a lot of uh, when you say the the parlay cards in those days? Were the parlay cards? Uh, so it depends on a card. I guess when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, the parlay cards. Some of them would have. Uh, you know, over thirty-seven and a half or under thirty-five and a half, um, and you know, not only did they pay you crappy odds, but they also like had an implied, you know, two dead numbers in there. Did that exist or no? No, no, they they weren't that they weren't that sophisticated. <laughs> they they realized that they weren't they were only holding ninety-eight percent on the cards. They were trying to hold ninety-nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I guess that was a Jersey thing. They just rob you a little bit more. So um, <laughs> that's funny. So um, so you grew up now sixteen. Are you doing any going to the racetrack at all? Is horse racing a part of uh, of of the of the life? Uh, you know, my grandfather used to used to go to the OTBs back in the early seventies. I guess when they first came around, you know, he dragged me to the OTBs and make me stand outside. You know, I couldn't go in. So, you know, it's, it's gambling family and, you know, everything was fun. They were all just, you know, my family was all just regular, you know, civil, you know, civil servants and worked for the post office and my mother worked wherever she had to work. And, you know, and gambling was just part of, you know, part of what we grew up with, you know, poker games at the house. You know, who, I mean, who doesn't do that? Who, who didn't do that? It's a way of life. Yeah. Well, everybody wants to gamble, you know, it's, that's the good thing about this business. Everybody's having a good time with it. They're blowing their dough. 
you know, that no one's complaining. Bookmakers are making money. They're paying the winners, collecting from the losers. And uh, it's been like that forever, and, and now it's a different world, but still the same. Gotcha. So you wind up moving in Vegas. Is is the pops have a job, or is something, you know, what was the decision to make to make the move to the West Coast? Well, the Bronx was starting to starting to get really bad, and my parents knew I was getting ready to, you know, going to be eighteen soon, and you know they didn't want, you know, they knew that if they wanted me still around, they'd have to pack me up and move me out, and uh, it's just what they did. My dad retired, and my uncle John was out here playing poker. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, so they just packed up, moved out here, and, you know, so here's your new life. Enjoy it. <laughs> so, and I did. You know, I, I I spent the last year of high school out here and, and, and ended up UNLV. And, of course, the sports betting was just starting to get big, you know, the Little Caesars and the Churchill Downs and, and all the little independent joints. And you go downtown, and there was Leroy's and, so, you know, his sports betting was just part of Vegas, always has been. And, you know, you kind of stick your head and hope they don't ask your ID. And, you know, oh, I left it in the car. And they go, okay, well, next time, don't don't forget it next time. You yeah, know, yeah. Good stuff. And, and, you know, college buckets, you know, I didn't know much about college basketball back in New York. Everything was all pro sports. When I grew up, you know, you knew St. John's a little bit and Carneseca and, you know, maybe followed a little Army football, Notre Dame. But when you came out here, a lot of college, you learned about college. And, you know, TV was just starting to get, get big, you know, all all sports on TV. So just uh, it just kind of all flowed into, you know, my first job at Caesars in uh, 86. I think it was right around the time the Bears and the Super Bowl and all that stuff and the refrigerator prop. You know, I mean, all that was just so prevalent uh, in Vegas. So when I got in the business and Caesars was, oh, it was, it was heaven. You know, I still remember my first day and, you know, I worked 10 to 6 and it was 6.15 and they said, are you going home? And I said, well, do I have to? <laughs> I mean, why, why would you? You know, so <laughs> it was uh, it was a good start. Good beginnings, man. No, no complaints. Man, that's great. So, you know, I remember even in the 90s to get like TV, uh, to get college basketball on, you know, on TV, you couldn't do it. So, did, you know, with Vegas and stuff, was it, you know, we, I used to rely on a ticker to find out what the scores were. How was it in Vegas? Were you guys getting feeds from different places or were you able, you know, did you kind of know, um, when games started or, or you just have to, you know, how was managing all that, um, with respect to feeds and stuff? Yeah, well, when, you, when you're talking about, you know, television, everything was on the big 10-foot dishes, you know, the old C-band and KU-band, and, and Caesars had, you know, a dozen satellite dishes, and, you know, you can get multiple games on every dish, so it was just, get you get all the games for the customers in the, in the, in the book uh, pretty easily. Nothing was blacked out, all the NFL was on, you get all the college basketball, you know, uh, schedules were provided by, uh, back then it was, I guess it was called Nevada sports schedule. And a guy by the name of Jim Feist has been around, you know, forever. Uh, Jim, Jim made the schedules and, and then you had, you know, Mickey Charles at a sports network back in the eighties. Uh, Mickey was, was providing, you know, services for game times and time changes. Um, uh, 
So that, that wasn't, that wasn't too difficult. You know, there were, there was before the screens, you know, there were no Dom best screens or any, any other odds providers. Uh, you had to go through, you know, Roxy, Las Vegas sports consultants. Roxy was, was the guy who decided to put it all together. And he was making the prices for the dust back in the, in the early eighties for guys like Scotty Shetler and, uh, you know, Gene Mayday. And they'd let the Stardust bang out the opening numbers. And then, and then Roxy would have all his clients on the strip properties. And then, he, you know, you call him up and he'd give you a rundown on all the numbers. And, you know, he's giving you all the current numbers. And it didn't take long for me to start learning. Hey, can you give me the openers too? <laughs> now you got the openers from the dust. And you got the, the, the current lines from the dust. And, and, you know, that's how you learned how to book. I mean, it's. A game goes from six in a college basketball game, and now it's eight. You know, a lot of places till they put up eight. You know, back then we didn't do that. Back then we, we probably before I had any kind of opinions, but what the way you learn it is, you, know, you hang up seven or seven and a half. You want to take a bet on that side. You don't want to hang up where it's at now because then it just goes back the other way because they were starting to set up games even back then. You know, they knew what they were doing. The sharp guys were always sharp guys. You know, I know that you do a lot of a lot of stuff in the business, and, and just you know, there's, there's a good good amount of that know what they're doing. Well, sharp guys are always sharp guys. You know, now they, they they just got a little smarter, but they were always sharp. So that's that's the way we we handled it, the feeds and the lines, and you know, you take bets, no no screens. Guy lays you eight on a college basketball game for three dimes, you go to nine. You know, you don't know the game could go to thirteen back then. You know. Today, they take a bet at eight and look at the screen and everyone's got eight. They go, oh, that number must be okay. You know, and it's just, it's, you know, it's a little different today. But back then was was bookmaking and, and, and that's where I, I, I cut my teeth to say. And, uh, you know, once again, another another good good education I got. Wow, that's some great stuff, uh, Richie. I, I just want, there's a couple of things I want to digest there. You know, you, you mentioned setting up games. I, I didn't even realize that games were even set up back then because, you know, it was just hard. For, you know, there was no Don Best or nothing. So when guys would set up games, they would know that they would call Roxy, I guess, for a rundown or they would try to get a, an update on the lines. They would expect people to copy those lines and then come back the other way. Um, well, what, what would happen is, is Roxy gave the openers and the guy sitting at the dust would end up moving those numbers where they wanted them. Now, I'm sure that was it's just like today. Not all the games are, 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 are phonies. You know, lines move because of, you know, their sides or their small bets or whatever. But then everybody would run to the phones because now the stardust went from six to eight. So those guys would call the bookmakers all around the country and say, Here's, you know, here's the run. Here's the rundown. And, you know, six up to eight, seven up to nine, top five up to six and a half. Now all the bookmakers around the country had all the openers and the currents. And, and those guys back then were doing that because they realized that they'd lose all their numbers. I mean, so even back then that was happening. And then everybody's opening up all these numbers that are a point, point and a half off. And, you know, and then, now there's your, what they call today market. There's your market. Everybody opening up. So it was happening. Wow. So they would bet Stardust the wrong way so that then essentially the bookmakers all over the country would get a bad price and then they would be able to attack those bookmakers for a bigger bet on that wrong number. Yeah, of course. 
I mean, not the nah. Not to different what's going on right now. I no, mean, I know I that. On the screen, and uh, <laughs> anybody that follows it, I mean, you really got to know what you're looking at. Uh, you know, once again, not true in all spots. You know, people, I, I, I believe that smaller plays go the right way because they're small. They got to knock out a game. You know, they need to fill an order and it's a small size and they just knock it out. They don't care too much about it. But, you know, bigger games, I think, you know, See a lot of back and forth, man. The screen moves both ways on, on these things. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's why you can't guess and move the line. You know, you write a bit, you're comfortable. And you, and you move it and you, and you adjust it. Let 11 to 10 work for you. Let 11 to 10 work for you. No wiser words have ever been said by a bookmaker, right? Yeah, why not, right? I mean, the modern the big. That's why you need the sharp guys. That's why you need both sides business. You know, you ain't balancing games per se, but you want to write business on both sides because the earn is better, as you know. I mean, if you write it all one side, the house is booking 11 to 10. And I don't care what kind of dummies playing into you. I don't want to take 11 to 10 as a bookmate. You know, it's not enough. You know, you, even even dumb guys win. Dumb guys are going to win 50% of the time. So why take 11 to 10 when you can write business both sides, earn three to two. If you can get the right side going for you, you make more money. You know, you hold less. You know, your whole percentage is less. But who cares? I mean, that's who cares about that. Yeah, it's all about the volume. So, um, yep. So, so Richie, this is great. So, I want to before we start your days at Caesars, I want to go back to the Stardust and the, and the whole lottery system. Can you just describe how that was and how were you active in that? Were you waiting on the lines? I've heard so many different stories over the years. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I was uh, I was an observer. I was I was probably under twenty one, and my uncle played poker down at the, the Dust and the Mint. So I go down and see him, and see they all line up with the playing cards. They put the cards out, and you know everybody picked the card. And if, I guess if you drew the ace, you went first. And they gave you three bets, and everybody, you know, everyone lined up. You got three bets. They, you know, those guys would were probably taking I think some dimes, you know, a dime or two on the colleges, and a little more in the NBA. I know their numbers were getting opened up. You know, back then, guy was out. They'd say, yeah, I heard this guy's out or whatever. You know, still give the guy the bet and over-adjust it. Uh, get back in line. So, you know, the stardust between, you know, Pacific time, you know, 8 and 9, you know, maybe a little earlier, but around that 8, 8, 8 a.m., you know, they were writing who knows how many hundreds of thousands they were writing from those guys on a full slate of baskets. And that was probably right before the, the added game started going up. So it was just like a regular board, you know, maybe 20 conferences or something, maybe a little less. And uh, and that was it. And then the, the lottery was over, and that's where everybody ran to the phones. You know, they had the handwritten wall boards. Uh, dear friend of mine, Robo, broke in at the dust in the 80s, and, and you might know him. And uh, he used to be on the on, – uh, on the top of the boards, 30 feet up on the scaffold, <laughs> changing out the by hand. You know, they had the old-fashioned boards, and, and uh, very old-fashioned. And, uh, you know, that's the way that worked. And then by 9 o'clock, the rest of the Nevada casinos that had books, and there weren't all that many, they'd start putting their lines up. And then, then, those, then all the runners, they'd all scatter around to the other joints. You know, they knew what was going on. They got, they got the... They know the feel of the guys betting, so it was good times. And and 
never see that again. Yeah, those were the walkie-talkie days, as they say. The guys would have a lot of walkie-talkies all around town before cell phones or anything, and people would just be on walkie-talkies giving out, you know, what he got there, what he got there. And um, I also heard a lot of stories where guys um, on on the Stardust opening lines they would they would hire bums um, and, and and to just yeah. be able to to be yeah. able to just have another pop on a bet so that they would just stay in line for them. Yeah, that's true. They just have regular guys that, you know, they give them a couple of games to play and um, they they get, you know, they get five or six plays instead of three uh, in the, in the first first run drill. Yeah, those were uh, those were good days, man. Good good days. You know, the walkie-talkies, they used to they used to steal them or sell them. So if I worked for a guy, I could sell my walkie-talkies, so I got the plays. Now, that was mostly when Billy was out doing it. That was oh, I lost my walkie-talkie. You know, when Billy was giving out an order, see, people would people would have the walkie-talkies. People would steal them or sell them. So now they had the walkie-talkie where Billy was giving out the plays. So Billy would give out a, an order on a game, and they'd go out on it. But meanwhile... Three, four joints already moved before Billy had a chance to play it because the walkie-talkie was in somebody else's hands. Unbelievable. You know, walkie-talkies were valuable. Then they had the things that taped around their bodies and you could talk. I mean, as technology advanced, you know, the beeper systems were in play and, you know, they, they, ah, it's just it's crazy, man. Anything to get an edge. Unbelievable. You know? He was the best at it. You know, Billy, it's a shame, he's, you know, he's stuck in, and, 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 you know, wherever he's at, and, and it's terrible. He'd be drooling over this business today. And who knows? Who knows? He still might be. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. So, um, all right. So, Ben, this is great. That walkie-talkie story, just like, you know, on the black market, you got a walkie-talkie getting all the plays in, and Billy doesn't even know who he's sending a place to. He just has them on a, on a certain signal. And they say, all right, you know, the plays are coming in on this number, and then... Man, that's just amazing. Holy, I didn't even... Yeah. Don't worry, he, he taught them all a lesson. He, he probably found out he taught them all a lesson, but he was very good at teaching people lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, some, I, I always hear that he's he's uh, he enjoys teaching lessons more than winning. That's, you know, or it might have been a 50-50 uh, proposition. It was close. It was close. <laughs> he liked to, you know, make people pay. <laughs> all right, so... How do you, you know, what what makes you want to, you know, start a job and, and, and go into Caesars? Can you describe that whole interview process or how you got hooked up and what made you say, all right, listen, I want to go work for a sports book? Yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was playing a lot of sports. I played a lot of basketball, a lot of, a lot of softball. You know, I'm 19 years old and I ran into some guys that, you know, from Caesars that had a basketball team. They said, hey, you want to play with us? Sure. You know, why not? And then, you know, they all worked at Caesars. They were opening up the first book, the first big book in like 85 or so. And uh, they said, why don't you come work for us? And said, well, I'm only 20. And they said, well, it's not a big deal. And uh, I said, well, I finish up one more semester of college and, and, and then I'll do it. And that's how I got into it, you know. And they put me in the back as, you know, I ran, in, you know, computers, put in final scores. You're right. They had the bet tickers coming through, you know. Watch the bottom, bottom fourth, you know, two on, two out, you know, one run in. The ticker would come through, the actual paper ticker. And uh, you put the scores in and take care of the TVs. And 
And then they, I did a little write, and I, you know, a clerk, I wrote some tickets, and they made me a supervisor pretty quick. I was a supervisor at Caesars at like 22, 22 years old. Wow. So that, that was a thrill, going to work, 22, Caesars Palace, suit and tie, just bought a Firebird, you know. I mean, those were the days. Can I go back? What does it take to go back? <laughs> so what, what year are we talking about here? 80, 87, 86, 87. Great. So Vinny, Vinny was there as well? Vinny was there. Boo D'Amico was running the book. Art Manteras just left to go open up the Hilton. Uh, a guy by the name of Jimmy Mastriani. You know, a lot of the supervisors were all betters back then. You know, they all played. And uh, one guy come to work. He worked four to eight. He'd come in at 3.30, look at all the games with a scratch paper, write down all the games you wanted to bet. Hand it to a guy over the counter. Say, here's my list. He goes sit back down on the, you know, behind the podium where we work. I'd be sitting there. He'd say, all right, get lost, kid. Kick me out. I say, you're ruining all my positions. He said, don't worry about it. So, <laughs> yeah. so oh, man, so so, how is Caesars at this point the top of the bit? Like, you know, is is this the go-to joint to be able to get down the most, or to be able to, you know, how does that compare with the independent joints? Where there's still a lot of independent standalone joints around town. Uh, did people look yeah. up to Caesars, or how was the landscape? Yeah, you know, uh, the most of the independents were starting to go away because the casinos were opening up, uh, Rose Bowls and. I don't know if Santa Anita was a, a, a little sports book. Most of them went away except for Churchill Downs and Little Caesars. They were side by side, kind of like where Planet Hollywood or Paris sits right now. And they stayed. They were they were monsters. Both those books, they were stone-cold bookmakers. Mayday and, you know, uh, Blackie and, and, and can't even remember half the guys. But they were all, you know, stone-cold, man. And uh, they were they were still the most respected. Uh, by the players. Now, Caesars was big. We took big bets. You know, the casino operators wanted to take big bets. They wanted to make sure that their casino customers stayed in the book. Because here's what would happen. Uh, Barbary Coast opened up across the street. And a guy by the name of Jimmy Vaccaro was running that book. And, you know, Jimmy was taking, Jimmy was putting people down. And, you know, every month, you know, back then you can play somebody else's casino chips at another casino. Then they would do chip runs, uh, meaning the Barbary Coast every Monday would send over like 400,000 in Caesars chips. And the Caesars guys were like, what's going on? Why do they keep getting all our chips? And so they opened up a sports book. And that's when Caesars decided, well, we got to open up a sports book to keep our customers in our place. So... Caesars was, you know, um, sports books are are typically amenities to the casino. They meant to 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 you know to earn a big living. You know, no regulatory issues. Take care of our customers. Do the right thing, and we'll all be happy. We don't care how much money you make or don't make. And and unfortunately, that mentality, you know, that doesn't translate well to our business. You know, our, our bookmaking is about making money. So, you know, you got to sell off a lot of stuff, but it keeps the churn going. Caesars was pretty respected. We took big limits. And, uh, you know, this, we probably took bigger limits than the dust. The dust was transitioning to different management back in the mid-'80s. We became one of the biggest books for about 10 or 12 years. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I was there for it, and I ended up running it, you know, from like the last six or seven, from like 94 to 2000 or, or 99 or something. 
So it was good. You know, we did pretty well, but can't beat the Churchill Downs and the Little Caesars. Those guys were unbelievable. Yeah, they, they, there's no amenities for those two guys because those guys, that's all they got. So there's no casino to back them up. It's either you earn or you don't book them. Yeah, Mayday had a little little casino. He had some 21 games in uh, uh, Dice Pit. You know, Dice Pit was like, you know, it had a $100,000 limit. Ask if you want more. Wow. You know, pass. So it was, it was crazy. But, yeah, those guys were, you know, I learned so much just by watching them. I mean, back then I remember them doing uh, – Teases on the baseball tolls. So I'd like to bring that back someday, maybe before I die. (laughs) Unbelievable. Man, that's just some great stuff, Richie. So you're you're running seasons now. What kind of pros are, are, uh, you know, the Sharks? You know, we got Billy. Who else besides Billy? And did you have real good relationships with all the guys? Um, How was it dealing with pros um, back then? Yeah, no, it was it was good. You know, the poker players were in. You had the Australians, you know, for a long time. You had the Asian outfits running around playing all the baseball. Um, no, it was good. You know, they had runners in the book. So, you know, you didn't always see the main guys. But they come, everyone come in for, you know, of course, they go to Caesars to eat back then. You know, that was a big thing. You know, you could drive around town in five or ten minutes. So, to get to Caesars from anywhere was ten minutes. And... You know, good relationships, no no BS. You know, everybody, you're straight up with them, they're straight up with you. You know, you take 100 dimes from a, from a house guest, you know, minus seven. You know, maybe you'd say, hey, see if he wants to take a little seven and a half or 30,000 or 40,000. Come back a minute later from a phone call, say, hey, I'll take it for 40. And you go to seven and a half, give a guy 40, go back to seven. And once again, it ain't about 11 to 10. And of course, you know, seven to seven. But it's better. It's still better than a, than a hundred thousand. And you know, ultimately, you go to seven and a half on a game back then. I hate to tell you how much business you wrote minus the seven and a half. So when you gave a guy forty back, it's not like you were forty long. You know, you might have been twenty long. Mm. So now you earned a little bit at the seven and a half. You know, it ain't that bad. And now you're back at seven. Uh, but business was, you know, business was good. We had, you know, they were probably. A lot of groups, I didn't even know who they who they were working for, but no issues, no problems. You know, we put the numbers up, you know, whatever time, and maybe we started at nine, but I remember back in the early 90s, we started going up at eight o'clock when the dust was kind of losing its luster. They they started booking added games in the late 80s, like four, I think it was four extra conferences, four, yeah, four or five extra conferences. And... For some reason, they decided the Stardust and, and Roxy's office decided they weren't going to do those games anymore. So I was like, "Well, why aren't you doing these games? They're, it's all the same. It's just they're games." And they stopped doing it. And this was just about the time the internet was coming around. So we ended up doing all the added games ourselves at Caesars, and we were posting all the numbers. So we had to go on the internet, and you know, a lot of the websites, believe it or not, are still the same. Uh, and we get all the schedules and, and make sure the times are right. And we posted all the games ourselves. And we wrote so much business on those added games that I called Roxy's office back, asking them if they could take some more conferences off the board. <laughs> we did so much business. I mean, all day they were betting those games. Now I'm sure the offshores, they well, they probably weren't called offshores then, but whatever they were called, or anybody in, in the Dominican or you know, 
what the, the dial the dial uh dial a bet the name dial a bet and you know they were they were probably seeing what we were doing and doing the same thing and they probably had handicappers they probably had a little differences in the numbers didn't matter numbers you know again go from 18 to 20 and a half back to 20 to 19 and a half to one who cares just write the business and and we did and we wrote a ton of business and like i said customers were great We'd have a couple of, you know, they'd say, hey, Rich, when are you putting those numbers up? You know, I yell out of the back, give me a minute, huh? <laughs> you know, and I'm walking out, and all the numbers would go up on the board, and everyone would go, hey, Rich, how you doing? Hey, how's everything? What's going on? I'd sit there, and, and every bet coming through, you know, and, and it was just, it was great, great times, great business, great people. You know, most gamblers, you know, most are very honorable. You know, hey, Rich, I think you hung that. You got that game backwards on the board there. Oh, yeah, oh, shit, sorry. Let me go fix it. You know, hey, fix that game. You should put it in wrong. You know, that was just it was all expected. You know, now everybody hates every better. I mean, I know that you're so well-loved back in the Jersey area. You know, I, just, <laughs> I just don't understand it. This is not a, it's not a confrontational-type business. And I hear the arguments. Well, where it is, we're not in a you know, a charity business or letting people win. Well, they don't know the first thing about bookmaking. See, that's your problem. You think you're dealing with bookmakers and you ain't, you know, and, and they ain't never going to let you bet or let anybody else with half a brain bet because they don't understand the concept. I want you to win. I want winners. I love guys that win because then I win. I mean, it's that simple, but everybody wants suckers and squares and, and nobody wants to teach these people and you know how to do things better. See so many bets online, guys betting flat numbers. Twenty four thousand to win twenty one three thirty three. Teach this guy. You have to eat the way you bet. You know, ain't the way you bet. So but back then everyone knew how to bet. You know, all the pros, all the sharp guys, you know, and, and uh you know, sharp guys that's a term that's just so so loosely used uh, these days. Everybody's sharp because they lay four when it's four and a half. That's uh, a sharp guy. <laughs> lay four. You know, that's, if that's the case, my father was a sharp guy because he had coupons in one food store and you go buy those things and go to another food store and use those coupons. He's a sharp guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, so. So man, this is yeah. I, I want to talk about the current state of the industry, but let me just get through the, the So you're at Caesars. This is this is good stuff, Richie. I'm just trying to picture it all in my head, trying to get back there. Everybody's nice. You have a good rapport with the customers. You're writing a lot of business because you guys are pretty much the only joint in town doing the added games. Um, when do you decide now to leave Caesars? What's the next step after Caesars in like the late nineties? Yeah, well, I actually left Caesars twice. The MGM was opening up at the end of 93. And, you know, Vinny and Louie were running the book uh, at that point. So I figured I'd take a shot and maybe go try and run a sports book myself. So they had a director over there that was taking interviews. And I said, let me go, let me go try it. And I ended up getting a manager's job when the MGM opened in 93. And that was about the time... Uh, well, I guess everything was still still about the same back then. But then uh, I think Louie Louis was packing it in in 94. So Vinny was getting promoted. So Vinny said, why don't you come back and run the book, you know, at Caesars. So that's when I, I went back. I was gone for like six months or eight months or something. And 
uh, boy, MGM had a lot of business. You know, they carried Packer was in. Um, Pat, we didn't have Packer at Caesars. Packer was a big Australian guy, and and uh, you know, Packer uh, was betting like three hundred thousand a game. And you'd have to go to his room and, and get the chips and get his bets. And, and you know, that lasted for six months. I went back to Caesars. Then Caesars was sold in ninety nine to like Hilton or Park Place or something. And I said, you know what? I wonder what's out there. And the guys from the MGM said, we'd love to have you come back and run the book again. So I ended up going back to the MGM in 99 or so, you know, but, but back in the year with the Caesars days in, in the 92, 93 range, we couldn't take the Knicks and the Rangers. And, you know, another thing I wanted to mention earlier was we booked a nickel line in the baseball and talk about unreal. You know, the business was, was absolutely phenomenal with a nickel line. Uh, and we wrote hundreds of millions from, from April to August on it. Earned to it. Uh, very hard to earn, you know, with, with the nickel line. But once you start, once you start learning the tricks, you know, you know, nickel line, when the move comes in, you don't move it three cents. You move it 18 cents and you start over with a new, new number, new straddle. And, you know, once you start learning all those little things, it was a ton of, a ton of two way business. Uh, but back to, back to MGM. Uh, I ended up being there at MGM for about a year and a half, and then the whole Mirage thing happened, and uh, I was kind of the odd guy out of that. Great. So, yeah, the, uh, it's interesting you mentioned it with the nickel line. A lot of guys, you know, you'll, you'll never see that today. That's just impossible, uh, you know. But this was, this was I know, in New yeah. York, and a lot of the local New York guys, they would even deal a nickel line. And especially when the game got closer, to, uh, you know, closer to the post. When once they, once they were confident on their number, um, they, you know, that was a that that was prevalent um, back in in, in in that time. Yeah, well, you could do it. You know, once you once you wrote thirty eight thousand minus a dollar forty three, and you know, the twenty one thousand plus a dollar thirty nine. You know, now you, you it ain't going to take, you can't budge those numbers at five dimes a rattle. I mean, you can't budge that big. You know, even if you go to 40, the guy lays you 40 for five, you know, now your average lays is you know, minus 140.9. And, and typically with dime lines, everybody writes, you no know, one two-way business at the same price. You know, it's, it's not all that common. And, you know, you got to move the line. So you're shaving 10 cents down to seven or six anyway. But nowadays, you know, minus 129, minus 104. <laughs> that's your baseball. Write no business and earn a lot of nothing. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. There's places like, uh, there's a place, MGM, they were dealing, I think it was a 40-cent line on the World Series. Where, you know what I mean? Where, you know, just they know they're going to write so much action, but they still, they take advantage. Instead of places like the South Point where, you know, Chrissy will deal 0-5 on, on, a, on a tournament games, um, to give back a little bit to the player, to write some business, these guys are, are dealing 40 cent lines on a World Series. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's loyalty. You know, you got customers, and and, and we'll, we'll talk more about this probably, but, you know, you got customers that come in every day in the Nevada casinos, but, you know, South Point, the dime line, you know, five boat ways on the tournament, or the second round of the tournament, and giving a little back. They do a parlay card two, three times a year, winner take all. They don't. They don't write enough business to cover that number. They're just keeping the players going. You know, it's churning. 
you know, Michael Gunn's the smartest operator in the state. And he knows he gets the people in, they eat, they drink, they play slots, they cash their paychecks, you know, and they go to the tables. I mean, that's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant to use Sportsbook as, you know, a little way to get people in the door when you, when you got a big casino. Absolutely. So, all right, after MGM, um, I know, uh, when, when does the Palms kick in? Do you, do you, uh, does that happen? When, 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 tell me what happens timeline wise well, after. When I, when I left, when I left, uh, MGM, I was kind of wasn't sure what I was going to do. So there was, I did some consultant for an offshore sports book, uh, a couple of them to kind of get people set up. You know, this was the, the online was, was, was huge, getting huge in, in 99, 98, 99, 2000. It was massive. It was right before Pinnacle, I think. And, uh, and then, you know, the shops were, shops were open and they needed consultants. How do we do this? How do we do that? So I did that for a little while. I, then I, after that, I was kind of working out of a betting office. My education in those two or three years, four years, blew everything I learned beforehand. Like, you know, if I thought I knew something, in the 90s, I realized I didn't know nothing. And, you know, I got a bigger education from that. And, and then I decided to come back to Vegas. My parents were getting old and stuff. So uh, my buddy was running the Palms. And, he, you know, he said, you want to, you know, you want to come in? I said, yeah, I'd love to be a supervisor, so I don't got to do nothing. He says, oh, no, you're going to make you the manager. Uh, I was like, oh, man, I really don't want to work. And, uh and when I say I really don't want to work, meaning I didn't want the responsibility, the meetings, and all that stuff. He said, no, 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 I'll do all that. You just manage the operation. So I said, I said, great. So I did that for a while. And then they, they, they you know, he had a, a little issue with Maloof. And he moved on. So George put me in charge. I'm like, George, I really don't want to run these books, you know. And he said, we'll do it, you know, do it for a while and see how you like it. So I did it for a year, year and a half, and it was good, you know. Which again, uh, the education was helpful, and it's all about the same thing, taking care of your customers, you know, offering fair prices, get people talking. Have no complaints. So you don't want any customer complaining about nothing. If he's complaining about something, if it's halfway legitimate, you got to fix it. I mean, that's, that's just it. No complaints. That's the goal. Everybody's got to be happy. And the book's got to make a few dollars. So that's all we did. What we did at the Palms. And, and the, the industry was starting to go down a bit, too. You know, expertise was diminishing. So, you know, people were offering future books, you know, 40% takeouts and 50% and higher than that. And, you know, people would come in my joint and see, well, wow, they got the Steelers at 12 to 1. And, you know, Caesars now or MGM's got them at 5 to 1. I mean, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know you're going to write more more business so that's all we did at the palms it was good stuff your reputation i know from a lot of people has always said you were such a fair person you were very customer service friendly you t you know you ran such a tight joint um and and I, i've heard so many you know great things about your time at the palms um when when do you decide then to leave the palms and and then what happens next well, you know, it was, I, I spent a year running a book for George and, and I just, I really had enough of it. You know, I just didn't, uh, you know, the year was a very successful year. I was very happy with, with the year, the numbers. I mean, if I'd say I held 3.7%, you know, people would say, oh, it's horrible. I can't believe you did so bad. 
you wrote a lot of money, and you know, once again, this whole percentage is just a product of the type of bet you write. If you write nothing but straight bets, three point seven percent. Who wouldn't want to hold that? If you write nothing but straight bets, you know, it's it's not like you, you DraftKings where you're writing a zillion dollars in sixteen parlays every day. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a different whole percentage in, in, with that business. So we had a very successful year, but I just had enough of it. So. At that time, we were just starting to fool around with in-game wagering too. This was this was about the same time I think Betfair in Europe was was getting involved, and and even way back then there was a joint called Bet and Win, which is ultimately now B Win, who I happen to work for. Uh, but Bet and Win was was doing in-game and Betfair, and we started doing it through a company that gave us a software for it. You had to sit in the in the seats, and you had touch screens. And we'd set all the odds in back on as many games as we could. And I found it was really intriguing that updated lines and, you know, games go to commercials and what's the score. And you got your pencil and paper figuring out the total, you know, and uh, we did very well with it. We didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of money because we had a very limited amount of seats, but we filled up a dozen seats and six tablets every weekend with people wanting to bet. And, you know, limits weren't real high. And I think that some of the sharp guys took it easy on me with it because I told them, I said, look, if you beat the crap out of me, then it goes away. If you don't beat the crap out of me, it'll, it'll be around for a while. So it was around for the year and it did real well. And it's before all, you know, obviously now in game, you can't, you know, can't people don't know anything about sports betting. They say, well, you got in game, <laughs> you know, that's 15 years ago. You know, nobody even knew what it was. Now everyone's an expert on it. And it, it's, it was, it was great. But I just had enough, but I ended up going to work for that company that sold me to do or, or licensed me that in game product. We called it rapid bet. And, they wanted to build a clientele with the in-game and they had another software. And, and so I got into that and that company ended up going bankrupt, uh, the gaming company. So we were just starting to build our own software platform. Cause I told them, if you want to, if you want to crack this market, you got to have a product, you got to have a bookmaking product. And I said, I got a, the best developer for sports on the planet that as a friend of mine, he may be interested. So we started this at, at this gaming company that went bankrupt. So now we're like, what are we going to do? So we reached out to another guy I know really well and said, Hey, you want to start a business? And he was one of, you know, he wanted to be, you know, in action and invest. And sure enough, he started a business and we started stadium technology in 2009. And then, you know, that's where we built that product up from scratch to where we are today. Beautiful stuff. Yeah, Stadium Technology. Tell us a little bit about that and what it offers the industry and, and, and how it supplies, you know, the business. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, you know, once again, we, we built a bookmaking software. You know, it's not just writer stations. It's the whole back end. It's the platform. It's the, you know, the, the profiles, the, the rules, the parlay odds. It's a, it's a bookmaking system for horses. Now, Nevada doesn't use it that way. So we, we turned it into a power mutual system, uh, handled all the odd screens. And, uh, you know, we started with our first customer at the Treasure Island in June of 2009. And, uh, you know, it was pretty much the first time that the legacy product in Nevada for many, many years uh, from the 1980s called CBS 
uh, was starting to have some competition. And, you know, it took us, you know, a couple of years, but, you know, now we got our second customer, third customer. The software was running in Delaware for parlay cards since 2009. That's all, all our product. And, we, you know, we just kept building and developing, you know, contests. And um, then we eventually, we, we ended up having an account wagering wallet when, when they put the mobile out. We didn't have our own mobile app, so we outsourced it to a third party. But in the last three years or so, we've got our own mobile app that we develop in-house. And, uh, you know, mobile apps are just user interfaces. They're not, they, they hold, they hold no, no important information. They don't do anything. They're basically dumb. A guy logs in, he makes his bet. It's just like a writer station, like walking up to a clerk and making a bet. So we eventually got, you know, all the big boys and everybody switched and we were the only, we're the only software in town, uh, up until the last, you know, year or two. And, you know, we went from zero customers to the whole state. You know, there's only like 16 lines in the state of Nevada, you know, 16 operators. And I think it's going to drop down to like 14 or 13 here uh, real soon. So Nevada doesn't have a lot of operators, but they basically all use our system with the exception of uh, a place called William Hill, the old Leroy's. William Hill still uses that legacy product from the 1980s as their main uh, main software. So I'm happy with what we did with it. And, and uh, it was, a, it was a good one. I learned a lot about software. You know, I didn't, didn't know a lot about it. And uh, now I kind of know a little bit. So speaking from a player's point of view, when it comes to software, I always of the mindset, you know, and, and this is just across Nevada or across everywhere, even, you know, and, and in the offshore world, the old mindset where you'd always take less uh, on the apps than you would at the counter because you could protect yourself from being double popped. You kind of limit your risk. Same thing with the, you know, you'd always have to call in. There's still joints offshore that I got to call in to get a bigger pop and they, they won't even let me bet online really, you know, unless I get a nickel or something. So is, you know, I always thought that an auto line mover, um, would be a, a viable solution to be able to, you know, just whoever gets in, you profile them and then you're able to move the line automatically. Is that something, um, in the works for stadium technology? Yeah, you know, we we kind of we kind of missed that when we did the uh, the, uh, the account wagering wallet. And we started the mobile, you know, because the one thing we did not want to do was uh, having approvals on the mobile app. You know, that just don't work in the online space. Uh, Wessex tried it many many years ago. Uh, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't work with the amount of with with the potential amount of business that you can get. Make a guy wait. The phone spins, waiting for somebody behind the desk who's staring at the screen to see if it's lighting up, you know what I mean, before he approves it. So we didn't want to go that route, but we didn't provide an alternative. It was what you mentioned, the, the auto the auto line move. But we did it in our in-game product that we have in the Nevada market called Stadium Live. And the plan has been to include that into the pregame wager. Um and we we will have that where the book is going to be able to, you know, rate a player, you know, 50 percent or 30 percent, whatever it is. And when he pops the limit, the line automatically moves. Now, look, we both know that, you know, you might have spent a day or two on the screen yourself. We see it now with with the pennies and, and the Chris's of the world where the game will go from minus 10 to minus 11 or minus 13. 
minus 16. You can almost gauge what kind of player the guy is when the line moves, knowing what, what the limits might be at the time. So when you see overnight games like a Chris go from 10 to 11, and you know they're only taking a dime or two or whatever, you know, the guy didn't give him a very big pop. So the auto line moves protect the book from getting double pop. And, you know, it's one of the things we missed. We should have put in a long time ago. We didn't. But we do not want to do approvals. Approvals are just a horrible, horrible experience for the customer. Then the bookmakers can start taking advantage of it. Um, not, exactly. not crazy about it. I 100% you know. agree. And that's William Hill used the approvals um, process. And they're just pretty much, you know, if you have, like you said, they'll just look at the screen. Some of these things are 30, 40 seconds. Um, they'll just shave you and, uh, and, and they'll air move on you and they'll always claim, oh yeah, somebody else beat you to it, which is of course bullshit. Um, so yeah, I, I 100% agree, but I also understand why app limits are lower because nobody wants to get double, triple, quadruple banged. Uh, I think this auto line mover, um, that you guys would be doing kind of makes, will allow the books to be able to have higher limits on the apps and, um, or, or the same as the counter, you know, that's the ultimate goal so that then now you're just writing, writing, writing and, uh, and then, um, everything goes from there. So that's great. Yeah, well, it's not bothering Circa. You know, Circa uses our app and they use our platform and they got decent limits on the mobile app because you want to know why? Because they're at good numbers because they know what a number is. You know, they yeah. know that, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't care if a couple of, some of the guys, you know, screen, watching the screen and a couple of guys get in whatever the $3 on college basketball totals and they get 600 or 900. They don't care. They just move in an extra half point. I mean, approvals are so overrated. Approvals started 30 years ago in Nevada at the counter business because not because they wanted the, it's a limit. It's because they want the writer to type in an extra zero or two by accident. So a guy wants 200. And so he, instead he puts in 2000 and the bet goes right through and then he collects the 200. Now the draw short 1800, you know, that's why approvals were put in to protect the cash, not my, not limit the bets. Nobody knows that, you know, everybody yeah. thinks approvals is, you know, something else. It's not, they just turned it into something else. And, uh, the approvals in in game really aggravate me. Anybody that any, any sports book that doesn't approve on an in game bet, they should not be permitted to operate. That's a license to steal. You know, a guy puts a bet in for 300. The bookmaker can literally watch the game and see if, uh, what's going on. Oh, yeah, don't give them that bet. They just scored a touchdown. Or give them that bet because they just turned it over. I mean, that's just unfair. It's unbelievable. I mean, and, it, it, and it's very prevalent. It, it's very prevalent, especially with these European joints coming in. You know, that's why if we're ever doing anything live, we never mess, in, mess around unless we're, you know, it's at a commercial or we know it is a big lag. Um, betting a game live in this day and age, uh, w w with the approval process is, 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 is death. You're going to get killed because these guys, like you said, are going to take advantage. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, nobody talks about this, but technically taking a bet from a guy while the game is in continue, you know, in play or whatever, it's continuous odds. The guy's betting on something that already happened. It's almost not even fair. I mean, no one talks about that. And I, I can't really, make a hundred percent argument that that's true, but there is, there is some, some you know, guys betting that they're going to make a three pointer or they're going to score next or whatever. So it already happened. The bet goes through. It means they didn't score or they didn't hit it. You know, continuous odds is, is you know, it, it has its place, 
But what these guys at Deck Prism are doing with all the commercial stuff, I would love to see them dominate the market someday. You know, bigger, shorter straddles. I mean, straddles are a joke. Shorter straddles, bigger limits, no league involvement. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, the the, the timeout, the commercial in-game is better. Uh, and I just, I hope that, I hope that catches on. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think the operators today care about any of those things. They want wider straddles. They want low limits. They want suckers. So that's the battle. And also the feeds, Richie. I think the you know the, the game feeds were, were six seconds, eight seconds, depending on how you get it. You know that's the difference between a make and a miss on some of these things. So unless you have a live feed, um, and no player is going to have a live feed. You know what I mean? Where everybody's just operating on 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 cable TV or a dish or whatever it is. Um, so that's another thing I think that needs to escalate to be able to get everybody on the same feed. Everybody's watching the same thing at the same time. Yeah, well, that would make it fair, you know, and then yeah. the, the delays, you know, naturally the, the books have delays now because they have to protect themselves from the guy who's at the ballpark. I mean, I understand that. Um, the, 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 the commercials, there are no delays. Mine goes up during a commercial. Guys at, C, at Cantor, CG Technology, they use our software. We have a feature in our in-game that when that when the game goes to commercial, they can turn the delay off everything on that game. Oh, and good. they do it. Good. And they actually, they raise the limits too. You know, I know some of the offshores, they run the continuous for low limits. And when it goes to commercial, they jack the number up, the limit, like they're supposed to. Uh, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of these out there that nobody talks about. Everybody's more, you know, the, the arguments of tax rates and, and the way people are operating. There's just many issues beyond that. You know, Tennessee wants to do ties lose on their parlays. I mean, how do you do ties lose on the parlay? I mean, okay, when are they going to have sports betting in Tennessee? Oh, yeah, they're voting on it now. Okay, when are they going to have sports betting in Tennessee? Ties don't lose on parlays. Yeah. You know, taxes shouldn't be 15%. I mean, there's, just, there's, there's so many other issues out there. And uh, it's not, not fun to you know, where I come from to see all this nonsense. You know, let's get into that a little bit, Richie, the current state of the industry. You know, these guys that are making these rules, does anybody have a clue? Is anybody like, how do, how do they not bring a consultant in, somebody like you or anybody that's just, that's been in the business, that's been in Las Vegas or, 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 or that's even operated offshore. There's this whole stero- uh, you know, stigma of if you worked offshore, uh, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. You shouldn't, uh, you know, be able to get licensed or you shouldn't be able to operate in, in a U.S. sports book. Isn't that complete bullshit? Like if the guy has experience, shouldn't he be, you know, he'll be able to provide a lot of value for a shop. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, you know, the, the character of the individuals should be more important, should be held to a higher standard than what he did to get to gain his expertise. I mean, there are, there are a lot of good guys. And you know what? If there are bad guys, they shouldn't be in it. You know, but there are a lot of good guys that would, would make the industry better, better, you know, more consultants, that knowledgeable consultants. And right now, it's lobbies. It's lobbyists. It's big companies spending big money on all these writers that you read about on Twitter. That you see them, they're lobbyists. They say, oh, DraftKings is the greatest book in the world. And FanDuel is the best ever. They're getting paid to say all that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're making legislation around these these people that are influencing, you know, the way that states are going to operate. I mean, Pennsylvania's taking 34% in taxes. I mean, you kidding? It's unbelievable. But, they, but they're saying, 
But well, we're going to hold 15%, 20% because we're going to write a number of parlays and they go in and they spend 10 million in licensing fees. I mean, it's insane. There are, there are the Indian reservations, you know, Vic Salerno and Robert Walker run some Indian reservations and, and they run it like traditional Nevada sports betting. And then there's the, the, the bigger companies that, you know, just they get in, they, they pay the big taxes. They're not looking to be bookmakers. They're looking to build stock value. And it's, it's, it drives me insane that these are, these are operators that can, you know, and then the, the, the other thing is, the big thing is you can't run your own sports book. That's what they tell people. You're not qualified to run your own sports book. You need to outsource. Outsourcing a sports book is supposed to be a last resort. I need a sports book and I, I'm too small or don't have the expertise and I just can't do it. Can you help me? But that's now that's that's not the last question anymore. It's the first question. I need an operator to run my sports book. You don't. All you're doing is giving away your profits. They need to do is hire somebody, as you were just saying, that's qualified to do it, that's of good character, that can be trusted, and that guy will make a better product for that casino, wherever it is in the country. Now, they may not make as much money, they may not get as much business, but they're going to run a reputable shop, but nobody wants reputable shops. They just want the money. So. Well, the business will come. Once the reputation, if it's a reputable shop, the business will eventually get there. And you don't need a big brand name to be able to get the business. You just need to run a tight joint. You, you treat the customers fairly. And, um, and I think the business will ultimately come. Um, it's a shame that, you know, it, like, you know, everybody, it's, it's this European invasion, um, where, uh, where, uh, guys are just, you know, the, the straddle's too crazy. And then, you know, you know, guys like me, we, you know, we have no shot of lasting for any, uh, you know, significant period of time. And, um, and I think it just hurts the, the business as a whole. Um, you know, you don't, you, you just kind of, you know, if you could do it, if Chrissy could do it, uh, Jimmy V could do it, Vinny could do it, Salerno done it, all these guys and everybody offshore, Chris, Pinnacle, the Greek, everybody, all these guys have run joints where they've taken everybody on and they're still able to turn a profit. You know, why does, the, why can't, you know, we look at that and say, hey, listen, if these guys could do it, we can too. Well, it's a very limited amount of expertise, uh, especially in the American sports. You know, they're using fees. They're driving feeds for all the pregame pricing. Now, obviously, for in-game, you need a feed. You know, nobody could sit there and make, you know, props on, you know, prices on props every minute or two minutes or whatever it is. You know, but pregame, everyone uses a feed. The feed pushes the number. You know, you know no one knows if the number is supposed to be six or nine. The, the feed just says it's six. And then you, you write all this money minus six, and now the feed says it's minus five and a half. It's backwards. <laughs> you know, I don't even know that, you know, that the feed says it's five and a half, so now the line's five and a half. I mean, uh, you, I, I think you're going to see changes. It's going to take a while, but I think you're going to see changes, uh, I, I hope, because right now the, the, state of, the state of the sports betting, and it, it's grown, it's like 20 states now, it just is they need independent operators, people that are, are willing to they want I want a hundred percent of the money. I don't want to take twenty five or fifty percent chops. You know, I don't care if my customers get pissed off. You know, over Carol was telling me they had a boxing match back at Rivers and the guy bet a fighter and the fight ended in a drawer, he came to get his money back, and I said, Oh no, no, drawers, you lose your money. What kind of nonsense is that? That's nonsense. But people 
People don't understand it's nonsense. People make statements that are so far off what it's supposed to, what this, what, the way it really is. They shouldn't be allowed to talk. They should be told that your statement is so bad that you can't contribute anything else if that's the way you think. <laughs> and that's the way I see it. There's a lot of just, you know, the guy who makes the rule in Tennessee about parlays, ties lose on parlays, you can't talk anymore. You can't make anything. <laughs> I you love know, Montana, Montana's opening up with this lottery company, this intro lot, and they're promising all the bar owners, the retailers, I think 6% on every bet they make. 6%. I told my buddy, you should open up a bar up there and just write millions of dollars on both sides to get your 6% in yeah. your own joint. You can't do anything better than that. So there's someone offering 6%. You know, my question is, is when's Montana getting sports better? The guy said, oh, yeah, we ha we're getting it now. I said, no, you're not. You're not getting sports. You're getting nonsense. And, and that's what we're seeing. And it's, it's not true for everyone. You know, I know, you know, William Hill, you know, their retail business, they know how to run a retail shop. Now, I'm not saying they, they do it right, but they they have a retail business. I see some of this the stuff they write on this ticket paper. It looks... It's like thin paper. The, the, the ink disappears in a day. I mean, we don't hear any of those stories, but you know, guys are going to be catching tickets. The ticket's blank. <laughs> it's, if it stays in his wallet for a while, it just it all fades away. Oh, that's good stuff. I appreciate it. Get, yeah, they don't even know to get a good ticket paper. That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> that's one of the uh, many complaints about that joint. We'll leave it at that. Richie, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, you, you've been, uh, you've, you've done so much in the business, um, and you've come so far. You've been on so many different sides of the counter, and now you're on the software side, which is huge, and, and it helps everybody out. And your, your opinions are, are, are spot on. I agree with everything you say. Um, and um, hopefully the industry can make a turnaround. Um, you know, it's still young and it's in infancy. Hopefully, it can make a turn for the better. Well, we can only hope, man, and thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Richie. It's a pleasure. Talk to you soon, my friend. Take it easy. Man, did I enjoy doing that. Richie's as real as can be. What a gentleman. What a class act. Such an honor to have him on. Hope you guys enjoy that. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.